Welcome to the Spirituality Out Loud podcast, where you'll hear real-life stories of people's unique spiritual journeys in their own words from their own viewpoints. Hosted by Leslie Seidel, relationship expert and spiritual mentor, who specializes in working with people on their relationships, from their romantic life to their work life and just plain life. Here's Leslie. Welcome back to another episode of the Spirituality Out Loud podcast. And of course, I am Leslie Seidel, your host and relationship expert. So today I have Anaretha Kota, who is a CEO and transformational consultant at Manifest by Design. She's a proud American and Brit, and also proud of her South Indian heritage from her immigrant parents. She has a BS in biology and a master's in rhetoric. She is an experienced educator, researcher, editor, and business owner. She's also an accomplished dancer, which you get to hear more about in this amazing interview I got to do. So without further notice, here she is. Hi, welcome. Hi, thank you. Thank you, Leslie. It's such a great honor to be here. Yeah, I am so grateful that we found a time to do this and that you are willing to um, talk about your path, right? I'm always grateful for anyone who's willing to honestly share their story with me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you know, we begin in this podcast, um, at the beginning. So, uh, what was it like? So, you know, there's a difference between spirituality and religion and, but what was your growing up? What do you remember about those two topics? What was your experience of it? Were you raised in a family of religion and or spirituality? Like, what was it like for you growing up that you remember? That's a great question. Um, where it started for me was early memories of a few things. Uh, we went to, my parents are immigrants, so they came to the U.S. in, my dad came in 1970, and I'm speaking to you from the U.K., so there's a, there's a whole, um, where we are from defines our journey, too. Mm-hmm. So my parents were there, and when I was born, they had... Um, weren't citizens they had their green cards and they were married and so when we grew up in Southern California in the San Jose area there was dance classes so Bharatanatyam which is um, so Bharatanatyam and classical Indian music hold on one second you didn't say where they immigrated from Oh, sorry. Uh, yes, good, good question. From South India, I, I think that's just obvious, but I thank you for stopping me. Some people are just listening, not on the video. Yeah, that's right. That's very true. So yes, um, yeah, my parents are from South India. From The state doesn't exist in the same form now, so they are from, um, it's, it was called Andhra Pradesh, and now they, um, the state has split into two, Telangana and Andhra. So my mom's from Telangana, my, mom, my dad's from Andhra. And um, they're both Telugu speakers, so I learned that. So these are all different parts that they brought with them. They're also in Indian Hinduism. They are in the highest caste. Mm. So that has something to do with it in that they, uh, the Brahm, they're Brahmins, so there is a focus of education and so on. Okay. And so they brought this with them to the U.S. And when we were in Southern California, uh, Northern California, I guess, where um, San Jose is. And we had dance and music classes. And those are 
dance, drama, and music in India kind of grew up together. There's actually one word, Natya, and that is the same word in Sanskrit for um, dance, drama, music. You know, it's all kind of combined. Okay. So dance and drama for sure, for certain. So we learned that, but we also went to Balavihar, which is the teaching like like Sunday school. Mm-hmm. And it was a weekly kind of class. I don't remember that much, but I do remember we would take the time to learn stories of the Ramayana, the Mahabharata, and um, the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita, and so on. So we would learn that. We would do bhajans. And later in life, we would also go to a weekly bhajans group when we moved to Phoenix. And that was a place where we sang devotional songs and maybe had meditation or other kinds of things. And, and always ending with food. So all of these things are all part of what, what was the Indianness for us. So there's dance and drama and the fine arts. There is language. So we had uh, access to hin- you know, um, Hindi to a small degree. Sanskrit, meaning that's the base language that percolates most South in, uh, most Indian languages, and then the the drama, the devotion, you know, the praying or chanting or the stories and the mythologies around that, and that was the big part of it. Yes, I find it really interesting that I asked you about your religion and your spirituality, and you brought in drama and dance <laughs> yes. and music. And so is that a personally a way in which you enter into the spiritual life or is that how it's held in your family or culture? Uh, I, I think it's probably a little of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the way te- dance and music are, classical dance and music in India, and there's many types, so I don't want to get too specific here, but in general, all of them were kind of created from what's called the Natyasastra, which is sometimes considered the fifth Veda. So, and this is a holy treatise. It's not, it wasn't written at the same time as the other Vedas. It's written in later. Mm-hmm. And it is um, from the god Nataraj. And he kind of danced the world into existence according to this specific mythology. And so it's kind of a, a boon that we got as humans to to have this and in fact the the great dancers and musicians of india were uh, would have like there was a cast for dance and music families mm. and they would have had like this is before the british came to india they would have done temple dancing mm. and so uh devadasi from this particular cast would have learned the dance and it's it's much like Shakespeare in teaching the stories of not just histories, often mostly spiritual and mythologies, but it's, it's a storytelling dance. And so it would have been done in the temples in front of the idols, depending on the intimacy of that dance, the, the more general pieces are done outside in the temple courtyard, which are very extensive. And then as, as the piece becomes more intimate, and in fact, some of the older pieces are more erotic in nature because you would have been married to this temple god. Mm. So those are done in the, in the chamber right in front of the actual idol, which are very precious areas. Yeah. So some of those colloquialisms still show up in the dance and music, for instance. So to me, it you can't really um, separate them. People people sometimes can, and I'm a dancer. I'm a trained dancer, so I think 
and I move and I'm kinesthetic. So to me, spirituality has a lot to do with movement as well as being who we are, right? So that's, a, that's an extension of that. It's so beautiful. I mean, my own experience has been cutting off the body mm-hmm. and ignoring the body. And it's taken an enormous amount of work to get back in my body and to start to listen to my body and to use movement as part of that has taken a lot of effort and it's not what I was raised with. It's not, I mean, this was dangerous. And so I just, it, it is, I'm so, um, it's so nice to hear this honoring of this big part of information and a big part of my spiritual life. Right. Like I, like I was talking about goosebumps when I hear the truth and someone said their truth shivers, right? Like this, our bodies are telling us things. And from my world, I never had that access to that. Right. And, and so it just sounds so, well, I, you know, of course, l- looking from afar, it's luscious, right? <laughs> but it's great that you had from a young age access to that part of you. I mean, we have to look at, what, what you're saying, we have to look at that in a greater context. I mean, I, all of this is contextual. None of this happens in a vacuum. So we look at the way patriarchy and colonialism play into this. So what you're saying about being intellectual, well, that is very much linked to 1600s way of thinking in Western Europe. And so we, we do. The spirituality got honed and pushed into one area and component and the science got pushed in that dogma got it put into a different sphere and and part of that is to patriarchy in meaning we are in control or we control or we dominion over others including our bodies our emotions our you know our truths and so as women Mm. that's a truth and when we add so there's the layer of within dance and within this spirituality and this is um, white gaze and um, and male gaze. So this dance was defined under patriarchy. You know, it's the women who were dancers. Mm. And there is a very specific way the body shape was supposed to be. And like I said, the, some of the the costumes and so on were were in that vein. And then when we had the British come to India, and they changed the situation with with their colonial and Victorian ideals on white supremacy, that added an overlay. So in fact, Bharatanatyam kind of became born out of its ashes. That wasn't the name. Mm. Bharatanatyam literally means dance of India. And it's, it, it was for, and then the temple dancing was banned after the British, you know, because of, so the, the, that rule happened right at the time of Indian independence but it had been slowly being denigrated. So that whole way of life, that whole caste and so on was, was uh, kind of suppressed and those marginalized stories, many different types of dancers. There's so many languages within the dance. There's so many, you know, perspectives shared in the dance and that's all marginalized. And then what we have is this kind of draping and the covering, the sari kind of, drapery that is now all dances follow that to kind of respectability covering up the eroticness of the Bharatanatyam covering up the you know because to a degree it might have been topless Mm. the legs would have been showing 
in, so in different costume styles and the, the actual themes of what was danced. So we have to look at this and it's no wonder that you have that experience of it's just intellectual or we see this, this movement with the eye of patriarchy, with the eye of whiteness, because that's not respectable. How do you start to unravel that, right? Like, I mean, um, so you're raised with these things and you're, you're going along, right? Which has already got the layers on it. Did you, well, let's, that's a topic. We'll, ha- we'll hold that for a second. So did you experience this growing up? as spiritually feeding you? Hmm, that's a good question. I would say the, the bulk of what we had read and seen and the interactions with other Indians, I don't think I found that enriching, to be quite honest. But I loved the dance from the beginning. And I realized right away, even though, because, because remember, my teacher at, that, at those days would have been Indian, was Indian and that guru. So there is a guru-sisha relationship, a, a, a teacher-student relationship, and so on. So they're, they're passing on this wisdom. It's an oral tradition, by and large, right? It's not like there's no, that much notation around the dance. We didn't have video cameras for thousands of years. It, it's this oral tradition, and they're, but they didn't have a vested interest in talking about some of the things that were covered up. So, did they have an acknowledgement of it? No, they did not. And I'll, I'll come back to why that's important and, and how I actually found out the truth later in my life. Absolutely. But at, that, at, the, at the moment, I thought, I want to keep dancing. I want to learn. And I, I was thinking, in my mind, I already understood this is a dance that would have been danced in front of God or for God and that there's a spiritual component. And it bothered me that at least one of my teachers was very heavily focused on performance. Mm. And to me, there was something lost in that artifice, in that kind of rhetoric of, you know, let's, let's put on good shows, but, let's, but in, in doing so, marginalizing people. And, and see what I'm saying when we talk about this in dance, like when we look at a Bollywood movie, for instance, and maybe your audience would be more familiar with that sort of trope, is we see the lighter skinned folks with the straight hair from the north mm. or white whiteness, meaning different type. The, the, the Indian dance was brought out from India first by, by Westerners. Mm-hmm. And so they would have, um, like Martha Graham, she, she brought this, I mean, she, she's not the first, but certainly she brought her version of the interpreted dance and brought it to the West. So white, uh, performing for whiteness is already a thing. Okay. So we're used to that. And so that even plays out, it's called internalized oppression. Yeah. And that shows up in, even though I had a South Indian dance teacher, she was still willing to, and I didn't understand that at the time. I didn't understand what was happening. But those kids who were white or who were lighter, so it's colorism, and this is, this is colonial, this is part of that colonial influence again. So people like with my hair, or I remembered a disabled student, totally put to the sides. And the, these students who could perform perfectly, meaning I might not have been perfect in that but it was full of devotion yeah and that was not valued yeah 
And so that was a big awakening later when I came back to it in my 20s and I did my master's research and I realized all these things. I actually found a teacher who was from the Scandinavian countries and she had gone to France, learned from Ram Dass, a famous dancer, and then she went to India and actually learned at the feet of some of the best teachers, but she didn't get into Kalakshetra, some of the more modern schools. She went and learned at the feet of some of the most amazing dancers. Mm-hmm. And, and she didn't have a problem telling us the truth about the history. She wasn't invested in it. Um, wasn't invested in also just not, a, I mean, do you think that the, um, your original teacher knew what she was doing? or had just so internalized all of this that she just was doing what she had been taught without question? Well, I've had several teachers, so I don't want to like put them all in one bucket. I'm sure they all have their own stance on that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The, the one that I had the longest and that was, um, that was most influential in, in terms of, um, I felt the most hurt under her guidance. Mm-hmm. And I actually quit dance because of it. Mm-hmm. was that I think it is internalized oppression. I think it is performing for dollars and capitalism and her being an immigrant in the States and needing to, you know, and, and I think she was at least single, a single mom for part of that. Mm-hmm. So she definitely needed to support herself. So I think all of these things played into that. Mm-hmm. And I think when I saw her perform, I saw that passion and that lighting up of that spirituality and she didn't perform that often she would encourage us to do so when the older so when the older more experienced dancers dance they bring this wisdom because Bharatanatyam is all based on Sringara it's love so Mm -hmm. it's love in all its myriad of forms and so the more rich experience you have the better dancer you can be so it's motherly love it's devotional love like bhakti you know, it's, um, it's romantic love, sometimes erotic love, depending on, you know, what, who's your teacher in that lineage and specific pieces. So it, it's love in all these different ways. And when I would see her perform, I was actually shocked that she would do that. So it was in there somewhere, that original, you know, that truth of I'm a dancer, I come from a lineage of dancers, and this is a great art. And in doing this, I'm performing. This is my kind of bhakti to God. It's a, it's a dance for God, and so on. And it's and, and, and there's also an interaction with the audience in that me dancing this way also can bring enlightenment or, you know, something. There's an interaction between you and the audience. So it can elevate them too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in your spiritual life, the mythology and those teachings weren't the thing that called you per se, but the dance was what did call you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then, so you just took things like we do as a child, right? Took things for face value, just said yes to the adult. And then the beautiful part of, the beautiful and painful part of teenager and you know, 20s is that we start to question things. We have, mm-hmm. some people do. And so you started to question things, right? That's what I heard you say. Like you started, mm-hmm. so tell me about that journey. Um, yeah, well, that journey was essentially at some point for some personal reasons. There was uh, my brother had 
gotten sick. It was a stressful time. And so as an early teenager, when I was starting to question this, and I didn't feel like I had the respect of my guru anymore at that time. I felt like there needs to be a level of respect and understanding between us, and there isn't. And I don't want to, like, I'd rather not dance than continue to subject myself to this kind of thing. And so that was, but I miss it. I missed it for years, and it actually took me till 23 to find a teacher, and that was uh, my teacher, Johanna Hungel Darcy, that I mentioned. You know, she's from Finland, and she is a Sweden, actually. And so she brought this incredible wisdom. So with that, she taught theory, which I wasn't getting from other sources. Also, I started my, I was a teacher at that point. I was a science teacher, but I was pivoting into my master's in rhetoric. And in that, in my degree in rhetoric, I had the opportunity and the guidance of my faculty advisor to explore how did the, how did that context of the dance change when the British came? So that was the beginning of this decolonization journey of, wow, what happened? What are the layers? So how did patriarchy enter into this how did the british come and change that and how did indianness change and so the topic of my research i in fact in my in my master's thesis presentation i did a couple pieces to illustrate what i was talking about so that was the beginning and that's actually what brought me to the uk to do my phd i did not complete the study but i was going to do my phd in dance on looking at Indianness and how do we use dance classes as this uh, medium to teach Indianness to Indian diaspora, meaning people born outside of India. How do we maintain this idea of who we are outside of our country? And how is dance that mechanism that can do that? Interesting. And so your goal in that, I don't, maybe that's not truth, but you're, in your thesis, you wanted to see how this was being taught, and you also wanted to take it apart from how it's changed over time. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of prior research in that. So obviously, once you start digging into the texts and the you know different different other people's research, that it kind of guides your journey too. That you might go in with the thought in research this is what this is what I think I'm gonna find or this is what I want to find and of course life has a different answer so you know but it was a it's a weaving unwinding process so how um, I guess how was this for you internally right so I hear you're 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 very intelligent and I hear all of the research and I I kind of want to know if you're willing to tell me a little bit how it was for you this process, right? Like for me, when I hear you say how you looked at your guru uh, in teenage years and said, this is not working for me. I, I don't know that I could have done that at that age. Right. And so I, I just am like, yes, I want to applaud that teenage girl who stood up and said, no. And then now you're here. So how, how was it internally for you to start to learn the ancient ways, I guess is how you would hold it, like learn the ways, learn the changes. How did that change you or how was that your experience? How was your experience in that? Wow, that's really complex and that's a really good question. So I probably can only give you some snapshots from along the way. In, in five words or less, go. <laughs> yeah. 
So one of the things when I was wanting to leave, it felt like, and we see this trend in even uh, in, in a great deal of Western society, that dance is applauded and wonderful until the teenage years. And then because of, and I would suspect male gaze and body and then hormones and, and body changing and lack of body positivity and, and so on, and the cuteness and the innocence of the dance and the more mature form, right? That, hey, you can't make money doing this. Mm. All of those things start to come out. So it's not unusual, but it, it felt like really rebellious that I had gotten, like I was within a fraction of doing my Iron Gate drum, my, which is the solo debut. So I had done this study for so long that I was qualified to do this within months of doing it. And I stepped away and I, I missed it. I longed to do it, but I didn't want it with this person. So when I met Johanna, and so it was, and actually as an undergrad student, I started to teach again. So I taught some of the bars and even though I wasn't qualified, but qualified, more qualified than most people in that I had grown up with it. So, and I was lucky to have found a mentor who encouraged me at that age to, to come back to it and embrace this is who you are. Don't give up this richness. And so I had some false starts in there and a, a lot of unpacking to do. And as I came back to it in my 20s, I think the, the biggest part that I was unpacking personally and in my work, because to me, there's not any distinction, right? Um, to me, I was all very connected. So as a teacher, as a researcher, as a, um, as a performer, and so on. And, and my personal work, I was going through um, therapy and so on. And what was the focus was dismantling patriarchy and how that shows up. And that's like internally in so many places. Like you, you mentioned about movement and, you know, and that was a big thing. So we get too into our head. And so it was returning back to body, returning back to, um, to self and realizing, wow, I don't, um, preparing for this arm trip, that this has been a lifelong process. And I remember it was a rainy day in New Mexico and I finished dance class and it was pouring outside. And so my teacher, Johanna said, you know, just hang back. It'll, it'll, you know, you don't need to run to your car just now and like drive in that. We'll just give it a few minutes. So in that I took up my courage and I said, you know, I had set the intention when I was 10 at some retreat that I wanted to do my iron gate drum. Like that was, that was an important job I wanted to do in my life, like bucket list sort of thing. And so I took courage and I said to her, Johanna, um, I know that, you know, there's a lot still to learn, but I'd like for us to put a date on the calendar. Otherwise I'm not running towards something and I want to help get really focused. So we set a date almost a year in advance and it took so much like there was hours of dance classes hours of practice the the thing that sat with me and it's been a life lesson here was she said you're never going to perform a hundred percent because here you're going to be on stage it's hot i don't know if you've ever been on stage it's the lights are very blinding um you're wearing makeup you're wearing costume and jewelry and you know because it's indian bridal jewelry mm. and a, a, a specially made costume made out of sari 
So it's, it's quite a lot of pieces and pins and all this. It's not the most comfortable. You don't dance in that uh, in class, right? Yeah, yeah. So she said, You're, you, so you want to you wanna practice like 110, 120% and in the hopes that when you're on stage, you might get to 50% on stage. So that, that, that preparation time, meaning it was a time for me to try to reconcile with certain relatives in our family. It was how do I improve my teaching to be more authentic, meaning learn from Johanna about that. Um, she is a typical Scandinavian, keeping her emotions quite close to her chest, yet she dances with such, with Abhinaya, Abhinaya means the ex expression. When she dances, she, it's, you can tell she learned from one of the best in the world. In fact, the person she learned from, Kalinyadi Narayana, her face is the one that show, most people show in textbooks, in Bharatanatyam texts of these are the perfect ways to show these emotions. Is it, is, it that the, is it that your face should be a certain thing or is it that there's a level of authenticity in that moment and that will show and be felt? Well, it's, prob it's, it's a little of both in that the Nacha Shastra, they talk about eyebrow positions and eye positions and head positions. And so like, there's a lot of detail in how to, how to do it. But then there's also a, the performance and any live performance will fall flat if you if it's not also coming from inside so yes there is artifice meaning it's got to look a certain way but there's so johanna was able to capture both and she helped me do that too um to to, to bring that out of me push it out of me otherwise i wanted to hide right you've been taught to hide and trained to hide yeah, right that's right so there's so many things that i want to talk about one of them which is what I hear is that you, you started by, by finally saying to your new teacher, this teacher, I want to do this. You started an initiation. Mm -hmm. is, that how, is that how it's held? Yeah, actually, there's, a, there's pujas, there's prayers around all this sort of stuff. We didn't do very much of those specific rituals. But yeah, in my, I had set the intention at a young age that I wanted to do this. And to be quite honest, I think it was a dream that had started with my mom that mm. she wanted to learn it, but she was born right after Indian independence where it wasn't a high class art yet. It hadn't finished this rebirth to become a stage art and a high class art. So as, as a member of the high, you know, a daughter of a, 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 a high class family, she wasn't allowed to dance. That was verboten for her. So that, I think that partly came through. So yeah, so it's, it's a combination of so many things. You know, one of the things that I, for one of the big initiations for me that I have held as an initiation as an adult from beginning to end was getting married. Mm -hmm. And I think that so much of the meaning has been lost in this thing. And, and so we just, my husband and I were super intentional around this, right? His family was becoming my family. My family was because it coming his and we fought and it was really hard. It's how you become family, right? And it's, so we held, it, we would get lost in the minutia, right? Like what colors the napkins or whatever the thing was. And then we would sink back into, I am no longer going to be single. I'm You are going to be my family and they're going to, you know, and the, the depth of it, right? And so I, I equate it to what you're saying, which is this idea of like, yes, there's a, there's an eyebrow flick and a thing, but then you also brought in 
I reconciled with family. Mm -hmm. I did all this internal work. And so I'm curious as to what the accomplishment, like, right? Because I, again, in a wedding, there's a, a, a private sacrament happening between my husband and I and a mm -hmm. public one saying, in the community, we are now this, yeah. right? And that's why you guys are all here to witness us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and that was held really deeply. We did, we did um, public vows and private vows where we talked to each other where you couldn't hear because it wasn't your business. I guess my question to you is you, you do this big accomplishment. It took you a lifetime and or a year, right? <laughs> to get there. What was the shift for you? Was it becoming a woman? Was it becoming like, what, what was the shift in the accomplishment? Does my question yeah, make sense? That's an excellent question. And I love that you're comparing it to marriage because in, in olden times, they would have not only had to learn the dance and learn instruments, but they would have been married to the temple idol. Yes. That was that, this was the culmination of that training. They, they, they also had the freedom to have boyfriends and sponsors and so on. So that was, that was also there, but it, it was a ceremony too between you and the main temple idol or male God. It's a, it's, you know, for the, for the Christians, it's like the nun. So mm -hmm. for you, is it, is it, is it that becoming a priest, priestess? I mean, Oh, well, this, there's, there's a lot of patriarchy here, so I can't really make similar claims that oh. mostly it's the males who become the priests and so on. And so it, this was one place where a woman maybe was, ha, had extra, that, that the bulk of women didn't um, enjoy the privileges of the dancers or the musician class. Mm -hmm. So maybe it was more akin to the uh, the... Um, kind of courtesan culture in within Europe. Maybe that's a better analogy, but yeah, absolutely. That there is there is this vow between you and God now, but it's also this public. It's your first public performance, right? The first time you take the stage by yourself, no guru. It's from that point on that you have your own, you know, your own thing. Like I, I tried to go back and study with Johanna some more after that, and it wasn't gelling anymore. Like that magic of being Guru Sisha was no longer appropriate. I could go and learn more dances. Of course, there's millions of dances and we can choreograph new ones or adjust. But that magic that was there was not there anymore. And so, so, hold on a second. so is it that you're now becoming an adult? Yeah, absolutely. That's what the initiation is, the adult. Adult, but also adult. So an adult dancer meaning yeah. that you are now allowed to create creations, teach, perform for money, you know, all of these things that would have been that. So, and also because if we look at that, it would have also been a marriage too. So it's kind of hard to parse because marriage in those days would have been very young. Oh yeah. Right. Like my, thinking back to my, my own lineage, my grandmother and many of her sisters got married before their menses men, men started. Yeah. So it would have been very young. So yeah. it's kind of both in that, in that respect, that it would have been done at that age, um, bef perhaps right around the time of your menses starting. So you're yeah. truly becoming a woman, but you're also becoming married in this kind of bond. So for me, I took it personally as this is something I wanted to do my whole life. Mm -hmm. And it was 
it was a culmination of a lot of things. It brought a lot of healing. And um, I actually went to India to continue to study. So I learned from a dance teacher, Pasumarthi Ramalinga Sastri, for four months. And that was amazing. And he's an amazing teacher. Um, and I got paid for, to, to perform a handful of places, including my alma mater, um, New Mexico Tech, and so on. So there was new opportunities that came up. And it was, and that, that kind of, it was in the middle, that was right in 2006. And that was the work I brought into my master's. And I completed that in 2008. So it was many parts that were getting kind of closed up that I, that I had wanted to do younger when I was younger. It sounded like an initiation that got completed. Yes. That got interrupted. And then got mm -hmm. completed. And I really, I just, I honor that. I think there's a lot of initiations that don't get held sacredly and get interrupted and then never get completed. And people spend lifetimes unconsciously trying to complete that. So just because of time, but I think I want to like have you back and talk about like 16 other things. <laughs> I just, I love it, that. yeah, it's so exciting to me. Um, let's jump forward to today. Right. So what does your spiritual life look like today? And how do you, how are you incorporating these things or are you still incorporating things? You know, what does it look like right now? That's, that's a great question. Um, it's, it seems that I, I took, I purposely took some time off in the middle there um, to get married and have a, a daughter. I have a child and she loves dance as well. Um, ballet, but you know, but she's into that. But I'm integrating some of those themes of motherhood. We, we dance about motherhood and I, and now I got to live it that, Oh, beautiful, you know, God, Hey, you're so beautiful. Come to me. Or, you know, these kinds of themes I dance so much or uh, talking about romantic love. And not being in a relationship that was uh, equal or balanced or, or fair or with that kind of love that you know would last forever. So when I came here, one of my memories when I first moved here was a man had gotten off a bus and he, tur um, he turned around and helped his wife, I, I presume it was his wife, off the bus. And they're very old and they had wrinkly hands. And that, I was, I was just, I stood in the rain watching them get off because I had gotten off first. And I was like, I want that, mm. you know, to have that kind of partnership where we are looking out for each other in whatever way. And that's not the way the dance themes are. The dance themes are very much, hey, to a male God, hey, why aren't you looking at me, God? Why aren't you giving me the attention? Where are my blessings? Like, you're ignoring me. You're flirting with her. Whatever. These kinds of themes are so frequent because they're all different aspects of love, which is what dance Bharatanatyam talks about. So spiritually now, and, and where I'm going with my dances, I want to create new themes. I want to talk about how can we be in equal partnership how can we talk about some of these other themes and bring in stories from the margins and for myself it means actively loving and nourishing and accepting and liberating all those marginalized parts of me all of those stories from my past and integrating them from from our ancestors and from our mythologies right but there are even though there's so much patriarchy there's still stories of you know, trans individuals, there's still stories of polyandry. There, so there's places 
in these stories, you know, of, of being born with a with a purpose over a course of generations to, to cause a certain thing, that we had that kind of power. It was written about it in these books. So finding that power within me, finding these marginalized stories and talking about them, writing about them, listening to them. It, it's so beautiful, this idea, from what I hear you saying, is this idea of taking these deeply held traditions, acknowledging how they got distorted, and then also saying, I'm gonna consciously create new ones, right? I mean, that's what I hear you saying, of saying like, how do I you know, teach your daughter? How do you start to speak about this in a way that's more empowering, that kind of, that takes it apart? You know, I have a son and, and I have a white male son. And the, the impact of raising <laughs> makes me cry. A white male, it's, it's, a, it's a big thing. I want, it, I want him to be conscious. I want him to be aware. I want him to do these things. And, you know, my husband and I, and I don't want him to be ashamed of who he is. And I want him to know, his, uh, know that, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so it's taking this path, acknowledging this past, and not pretending it doesn't exist, and yet trying to forge a new thing, which is what I hear you doing. That's right. That's right. We have to create something new. In fact, my husband and I, when we got married, we did not have a traditional ceremony in any sense, either Hindu and he's C of E. Uh, Church of England. Oh. Church, Church of England, yeah. So we got married in a beach with just two witnesses um, in um, in New Zealand on Abel, um, in Abel, Tasman. Yes. So it's Adele Island, predator-free island, and we just spoke our vows and we did a blessing of the hands. I don't know if you've read that, um, but do yourself a favor. Um, have a tissue when you read that. It's such a beautiful reading. And we created our own thing and we created our own tradition. And we go back to the ocean every year, not, not the ocean in New Zealand, although that would be fabulous. And we renew our vows. So it is. And one of the things I vowed to him is in, in working together to create new traditions, meaning it's not necessarily always one religion or one way of thinking. It's bringing these things in and, and being conscious of how, how do we do that. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love the idea. I mean, I do recognize that our marriage is a continuous recommitment, mm -hmm. but I haven't, we haven't done it in a formal way and said, okay, like, let's take that time and think about it and spend, spend some time and make that recommitment to each other again. Mm -hmm. Not just, yeah, I still love you. And yeah, I'm still married. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Pass the salt. You know? <laughs> But to also give it its sacred time, right? It's breath and space and, and to honor that. I, I really appreciate that. So I want to be conscious of time. Uh, there's a couple things. One, which is how can people uh, find you and get a hold of you? Talk a little bit about your work today. Yeah, thank you. Um, absolutely. My website is manifestbydesign.com. And you can find me on all social media under at Anuradha Kotha. And that might be a little trickier, but I'm hoping you have links provided. I will have links provided to everything. And one of them, I hope, a link to a visual of your dance. I'm working on that. I'm working on that. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a new goal. Oh, nice. Yeah, so absolutely. It's, 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 there, 
you know, part of the work that I kind of been trying to talk about here with you is the power of us, especially of as people of color, is owning uh, owning our labor, owning the our work. Yes. And so many people want to own my work in these ways and not give it to me, not give me the means of production to make my own art. And so we're luckily in a time where that's more possible. So I would like to work on that. I'm in fact trying to think of ways I can do online performances. So if there is, and, and dancing some of these new themes that I'm working on, how can we? So these are some of the new exciting projects in that, like you said, in my past, I had a lot of the, you know, intellectual or academia, but now I think that's as far as that route is going to take me to decolonize. The rest is now, it's off-piste. It's on my own way. Mm. And this is this is the way I'm choosing to, to do that. So hopefully we can create those kinds of systems that support a lot of other people, meaning a place where where people of color can create their own things without then being um, taken advantage of. And I would say this is true for all artists and performers as well, because so much, if we're talking about a performance or an art exhibit in a museum, most of that is white males. And there's token roles for people like me. Like my dance would be an ethnic dance. And I don't want that to be the case. I want my story marginalized. I, I'm not saying mine is the only one that needs to be centered, but all of all of these rich tapestry of performance, of dance, of art that are from the world, all over the world, need to be put in the center. We need to have access to this. Yes. So that's a bigger vision I'm holding. Well, hopefully I get to be a part of it. I'm so grateful that you got to tell your story. And I'm sure that anyone's listening is excited to look at what you're doing and, and see what you're doing and, and hear more about you. I know I am, you know, so um, I really appreciate your time in the notes on my website. Um, as I put this out, there's going to be all of the ways in which people can find you and connect with you. And I encourage you that if you are called listening to this podcast, that you take a moment to, to look you up and, and find ways to connect with you. You know, that's how I found my teachers, right? By these serendipity uh, moments, these synchronicities where I just happened to catch a random podcast that, that then led me down this hole of being fulfilled in this way. And so I, I really honor you and I am thank you for your time and maybe you can come back and I can hear more about what's going on. <laughs> I'd love that, Leslie. Maybe when I've got my first live show done, um, a virtual show, we could do it. Yeah, that would be oh, amazing. I would love it. So again, thank you for your time and your energy and your story. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode of Spirituality Out Loud. Be sure to rate us, review us, and like us on Facebook, and share us with your friends.